now the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast, dare I say the cleanest hour in podcasting. I'm so excited to be here today and to be talking with Joel Craddock, the president of Docs Facility Solutions. You know what's interesting, Joel? I'm sure you can agree to this. We've been kind of dancing around together. Yes. You know, like you, we've been in the same hemisphere, but never quite connecting as directly as this. Until today. And I mean, seemingly, seemingly for years though, right? Like, correct. I've been doing I, this almost 37 years. So yeah. And I, yeah, but I'm saying like, I don't even know when I first heard of you or when you first came into my, you know, my consciousness, but it was a long time ago. I was like, oh, okay. I understand, you know, cause you're, <laughs> you're doing a lot of the same things that I'm doing, which is you're an educator, right? Yep. And a lot of times when you're posting pictures and videos and things, it's you teaching people about cleaning operations in a classroom. And here yep. I am the idiot on the nursing wing trying to show somebody how to run a mop. I'm like, I need a classroom. How do you get a classroom? <laughs> you rent a big enough building. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never got a classroom. People, plus I've people always, who want to do it, you know, and, and have me at a place that has a classroom or a large conference room. And that's only one of the two businesses I own because I also own a commercial cleaning company. You do. I didn't know you also had a commercial cleaning company. So you're not just a consultant. You're also a business owner. That is correct. It's a rare thing. A lot of people go like, well, a consultant, then why can't you do it yourself? Uh, you know, people who consult are people who don't want to do it themselves. Can't usually do the job is what they say, right? Yes. Yes. I totally take offense to that because... I know. <laughs> first, and, first and foremost, I am an educator. Right. Like my whole thing is I love to teach. Yep. And so could you imagine if there weren't people who didn't like to teach? You would never learn anything. Well, it's funny because when I took my certification classes about seven years ago, and I sat in class and I was the, the guy who thought he was the know-it-all. And then I started not saying anything because I realized the way that I've been taught for 20 some years, most of it was wrong. <laughs> so... I, it was like the whole class was very eye-opening to myself. And what was the certification what, on? What was it? Uh, the ISSA Cleaning Management Institute certifications. Mm. It was their train-the-trainer class, and Marion Ivey was the gentleman who was the class instructor, and it was out in Las Vegas. Mm. And I had a wonderful time there, and I'm not even a gambler, so, you know, but I had... I spent, when I realized the first day of class that I didn't know half the content that was taught, I spent the rest of the time not in class reading and studying the textbooks because it was that wild that I'd been in the industry so long. And yeah, I kind of was showed things and they were kind of right. But when you get to best practices and the way that you're supposed to do things and the right procedures, realize that I didn't really know what I was doing. So... I started this company you know, a little over eight years ago. It'll be nine years in January. So the first year in business, I took those classes. So I refocused the whole company on cleaning for health rather than just cleaning for appearance and best practices and teaching my staff and trying out the new technologies that are out there. Because with the advent of COVID, you can't just clean with a string mop and a vacuum cleaner like years ago. Very interesting. I... You know, what's so interesting about that is that it, we all fall into that trap where we are shown how to do something and then yep. forever, that's how we do it. And that's and, why the worst person that can do your training is the person that's leaving your company and teach all the bad habits to somebody that's new. I'm a big fan of not accepting notices, by the way. So somebody says, I'm going to give you my two week notice. I'm like, with peace and love. Thank you. Today's your last day. <laughs> <laughs> I never trust anybody who's leaving. I never trust anybody who's on the way out the door. No, and because for those they, just, of you, they don't have it in their heart anymore. No, for those of you who are thinking about quitting, here's an, a tip. It's best to just quit. <laughs> don't wait. I know a lot of people are like, I want to notice. I don't want to notice. Not me. No, because Not it's going gonna, gonna to be bad for the client. 
yeah. typically. Yeah. So I rather, you know, that's why I have people that are trained to be able to go to any account and fill in for somebody who's out sick or quits or is on vacation. Mm. As well as we don't let any new hires work alone for, in some cases, up to a month. We have one of our management, you know, supervisors, site supervisor, myself, go out in the field and work with the people for a, a minimum of two weeks, up oh. to a month. Depending on some locations, as you know, like anything in healthcare, there's so many urgent and critical things if you do them wrong. But most other accounts, we can usually get away with two weeks of working with them. But some accounts that have so many rules and regulations, anything with the food industry, anything mm-hmm. in healthcare, senior living facilities, there's a lot larger training curve. Listen, if I have to spend a month with you, you're not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess some longtime people for that, though, you know, because they say that a lot of the places they go, they've never been trained like that before. And that they can ask questions and you just kind of, you know, guide them through. You do the cleaning the first night, they watch you, and then you start letting them do some of the hands-on. And you start correcting them right from the get-go, but you make them do the whole job, which I learned. That's something I did learn many years ago that was right. You make the person do the whole entire job the first night, even if it takes too long, where you cut corners with them the first night showing them, and then you go back and you fix all the, you know, the little yeah. problems that you know that got missed before yeah, you sure. go home for the evening. I'm, I think that if there's a single turn of phrase that I guarantee that I'm going to hear, Every time I work with a new person, it is this. Too much. <laughs> I've never been trained. Oh, yeah. I've heard it from the most advanced people, the most unadvanced people, and all the way up through the chains. I mean, I've had top-level professionals claim they'd never been trained. I had somebody recently, I was working in a kitchen, when I was talking about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and they weren't doing a very good job at creating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which I I recognize that some people are like, how do you mess up a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You can't, all right? You, they're just simply, there's a ratio. And if you don't know, listen, if you don't know there's a ratio, there's already a problem. <laughs> and when I said, hey, you know, we make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches like, you know, this is how you should do it. They said, I've never been trained. Now I'm looking at this woman. She's got to be 40. I said, do you have kids? She says, yes. I'm like, all right, listen, I don't know who you're lying to, me or you, but You've been trained. You know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I've never been trained. (laughs) There's a whole skit I do about the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. (laughs) I once had somebody tell me, and not that I subscribe to this way of thinking, he said, yeah, I tell my wife to go buy Lunchables. So I always buy a box of Lunchables as part of my in-choke and say no. And I throw the box and say, that's not how we make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And uh, I just throw the box into the group on the floor in front of them, and they all kind of chuckle. And then we try to, you know, make the best recipes and, you know, pick one or two and have people come up and read the recipe to me. And I listen to exactly what they say. And you can really mess up a sandwich. You can definitely mess up a sandwich. I like that you're talking about how to... I like that exercise. If the germ or the, the intent of the exercise is to learn how to write instructions... Mm-hmm. That's exactly. So I remember when I was going for my teaching degree, we had to write a lesson, and the idea of take a, a popular board game that you know, throw out the directions, now rewrite them in your own voice, explaining to somebody who's never played the game, and it's difficult. You're like, oh, wait a minute. All right, so there's uh, six players, and there's one dice. You know what I mean? Like, how do you oh, yeah. describe Monopoly to people who've never played, and you don't have the instructions to look at? Right? Like, exactly. How, how much not, money do people get? Yeah, it's not as easy as people realize. No, no you question. Know, every, you know, that's it. kind of goes to our whole industry, too. Oh, well, how difficult is it? I mean, over the 30-plus years I've been working in this industry, I can tell you usually within five minutes of meeting somebody if they're going to make it in this industry because this is really not an easy industry and really needs to be classified as one of the trades, no different than, you know, an electrician or, you know, a carpenter or whatever. They all need to have licenses, and that's one of the big reasons why I make sure my staff is educated because that's part of my belief system. That, you know, I don't want a doctor operating, you know, open heart surgery reading from a manual. You know, I want 
somebody who's trained and trained properly to do it because when you do that, we all know that you have higher productivity, you have better output, and everybody wins because then you can start doing things more effectively and efficiently and people can earn bigger pieces of pie as we grow as a company. So, I agree. This is a profession. 100%. That's one of the things about, and that's one of the things I like talking to people like yourself on this podcast is because I get to meet real professionals, people who really take the cleaning industry very seriously. What are you looking for? Me? What do you got? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back to the beginning. I like to start sure. at the beginning. You're in Rochester, New York right now. Is that where you grew up? Yes. Really? Grew up in Rochester? Yeah, in Rochester, four seasons, really hot, humid summers and very cold, you know, wind chills a couple of Februarys ago, minus 35 was the average, minus four was the average temperature about five years ago for the entire month of February. Yeah, so we have quite the range. So what was it like growing up? Like how many people are in your family? Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I'm the oldest of four and we're all like two years apart. I was the only one born in the 60s. And then I have two sisters, one that lives local, one that just moved out to Omaha. And I have a brother that lives local, you know, grew up in a family unit. My father was around and he passed away about 17 years ago. Oh, sorry so, to hear that. Oh, he, it's, I appreciate that. It's definitely different because he was my hero. He was my best friend. And what did you know, he do for work? What was he doing when you were a kid? When I was a kid, he was, he worked at Eastman Kodak Company which is what everybody did back then. I was going to say Kodak was big, right? Yeah, 70,000 employees in downtown Rochester just in Kodak. Yeah. Um, And he worked as a – he wasn't quite an engineer. I forget what the title was. He was like one step below an engineer and did a lot of computer programming before computer programming became big. And then when his division closed down because he worked in the film production and as that kind of weaned away to digital – uh, in 1986, then he was hired in their R&D department and traveled through the Northeast to some of their larger places looking and doing research with customers on some new films that they were coming up with. Yeah, it seemed like Kodak really resisted. As a company, they really resisted to the digital error. And I think I've read that that was really what undermined them, right? They weren't able to keep up with that oh. next... In my opinion, it was also they diversified into things that didn't seem like a fit, like they became a pharmaceutical company and they became... (laughs) Is that wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Pharmaceutical. Yeah. But I mean, they did. They sold off the profitable divisions and they started doing so many other things because they were a city within a city. They had their own rail system. They had their own busing system, their, their own housekeeping system, their own security system. It's almost like they started to drink their own Kool-Aid. Yeah, in a way. And they just, I, you know, like everybody else, sometimes you get too big for your bridges, you know, mm-hmm. and they tried to diversify. And then they had some CEOs that, you know, didn't really direct the company the right way and had huge golden parachutes for them and, mm-hmm. you know, left the company in ruins. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're this just... Was, wasn't this in like late 80s, early 90s, though? So this was kind of far yeah, along. 86. And I graduated from high school and that's when my father division closed down and he Mm -hmm. was paid too much money. So he was, you know, for how long he'd been there and stuff. And he had a hard time staying with Kodak, but did find something in the R&D. So, yeah, that happened like mid to late 80s where they started to completely downsize uh, extraordinarily. And it was funny because I worked for a janitorial company and one of our largest clients was Eastman Kodak. A little better than half of our business came from there. You worked there during high school? Mm-mm. No, no, you no, mean after, after college. Oh, after, after college. college. Yeah. What did, I, go what ahead. did mom do? What did mom do? Mom was a stay-at-home mom nice. um, until my brother was in high school. And then she went back to work and she worked in the court system. So a lot of the people kind of tease her because she started out, you know, out of high school working at the appellate courts, which are the highest courts in New York State. And by the time she went back and retired out, she was working for a town court as a court clerk. So she <laughs> said, I got to be like the only person that works backwards in the system yes. instead of <laughs> the other way. And she used to edit a lot of uh, law books, you know, so she was very good with the written language and catching misspelled words and things like that. So 
she was an editor. And of course, back in the 60s and 70s, it was a lot different than it is today. So that had all be done manually. So what about you then? How did you gain this entrepreneurial spirit? Like what were you doing as a kid? Did you have a paper route? Did you sell pretzels on the street? I did not sell pretzels like the last, (laughs) but I did have an entrepreneurial spirit. One of the things I used to do was some older people in the neighborhood. So I would mow their lawns and rake their yards in the fall, shovel sidewalks and driveways for a dollar. What was I thinking? I used to do it for $5 and it was hard to get a customer. (laughs) People would be legit going, I think I could drive over it, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I get stuck. And then, you know, I started babysitting the next door neighbor's kids. uh, Really? Yeah, they worked different shifts during the week and it was a two hour gap. So I made $25 a week babysitting. So back then, I think my household allowance was like $2 a week. Wait a minute, you got an allowance? And an allowance. We had a lot of chores to do. We used to pick all the clover out of the yard. And well, that was if we did something wrong. No, but we had chores. (laughs) (laughs) I had chores too. I had zero allowance. How dare you? Yeah. Well, you know, they sacrificed to be able to do that with us. And when I got that one job for $25 a week, I, I told my parents I needed to have a family meeting with them. And told them that I would still do my chores, but they needed the $2 more than I did because I was a self-made man. So, How old were you? Oh, God. I was probably 14. I love it. Good for you. And uh, so I guess that's kind of where it originated. And then I got a, a job for a five and dime called Ben Franklin Stores, which Sam Walton was a, you know, a Ben Franklin guy. And he says, you guys are going in the wrong direction. You need to do this. And they said no. So he started his own company, which became Walmart. So I guess he kind of knew better than Ben Franklin. Well, Ben Franklin stores anyway. <laughs> yes. And that's where I started in the cleaning world because that's part of what my responsibility was. Actually, no, I started in the cleaning world when I worked at the church. Got paid 25 cents an hour to clean the church. How often were you cleaning the church? Once a week. So every, uh, was it after church? Yeah, every after Sunday service? It was actually before Saturday service okay. so that it was clean for the weekend. Okay. So I would clean it for, you know, a quarter an hour and it would take me about four hours to clean the church and the rectory. And the, you clean the, the rectory too? All the common areas, not oh. the priest's quarters, but, you know, yeah. the entryway, you know, the kitchen where, you know, his office where he would meet with any of the, you know, congregation or whatever. So it was just the first floor areas that we did. But yeah, it took me about four hours to do all that it's a every nice, Saturday. So it's yeah, a, so I made a dollar there. I made, you know, $25 babysitting. So I was, you know, I was making a ton of money for a kid my age. There is something to be said about earning money as a kid. I mean, I remember earning my first couple of dollars and wanting to do nothing else but earn more money. Which oh, all yeah, I wanted. Exactly. And I put it away. And I bought my first car for cash. Yes, it was a used car. I bought a 1982 Dodge Colt hatchback. I tease my younger friends and they go, what the heck is that? And I pull it up <laughs> and they go, what? <laughs> I bought it in 1986 and it was a 1982. So it was four years old when I bought it. And it was a twin stick. And I'd never driven, you know, an auto. I mean, I never had driven a standard up until that car. My father taught me in a couple of hours how to do it. He put me on a on a hill and said, okay, get up the hill. Because if you can't get up the hill, you can't drive this car. I made it up the hill. <laughs> Very cool. My dad taught me how to drive in a dump. So there was a dump that had like all the garbage in the middle and had a road that went all the way around. And we just went there and we just drove in a circle. We clean one of those now. A dump? Yeah. That's one of my clients. We clean a landfill. Really? Yeah. And I told him, I said, like, this sounds like a crazy question, but where do we put the trash? <laughs> it does sound like a crazy. Don't put it over there. Yeah. Where do you want this? Because, I mean, they're very organized. I mean, everything's broken down and set to different parts of the dump, depending on what it is and, you know, how quick it's going to break down. And, you know, it wasn't like that when I was a kid. I mean, no, it was, it just wasn't. Like one it wasn't. Big it was just pile, pile. <laughs> of everything and anything. And yeah, so it's fun. Going to the dump nowadays is super fun. 
if you're into that, but I certainly am. You like broken furniture over here, wood, metal, you know, household trash, recyclables. Ground, yep, ground up Christmas trees, yard uh, waste. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very interesting how this all is. You know, every industry has kind of fine streamed themselves, you know, since we were kids and stuff like that. And that's one of the things I love about this job is, one, there's no way to get stuck in a rut because every day is a new problem or issue or and the other part is that you get to see things that most people don't and how things are made or how, you know, things are packed for shipping or I've got a client that makes uh, corrugated cardboard and they were open during the pandemic. And I go, I mean, maybe I'm a little thick, but how are you considered essential? Just so I understand. And they're like, well, what do you think, you know, is the packing material for all of the ventilators? And I go, oh, that's really cool. So you do, you know, you get to find out about all your different clients and what makes them important. And I think all businesses are essential because that's what makes an economy go. I don't think that, you know, that's my personal belief. But, you know, when different companies were deemed essential, just trying to find out what they did that made them that way mm. and what it was, that, that was some of the funnest times, believe it or not, during the pandemic is understanding why someone had to be at work and what made their company go. Yeah, no, I agree. So you go to, you finish high school and yeah. go to college. What'd you go to college for? Well, I started out in, oh gosh, I was going to take engineering. Was it that long ago? Was it? Over 30 years. So oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm getting old and forgetful. No. Um, engineering and I bombed out. I was doing horrible. So I just changed to business because that has always just made sense to me. So I got my two-year degree at MCC, and then I went on to Brockport College, which is a state-run college, and I got my four-year degree there, and I got married to my first wife, yes, my first wife, just before I graduated in that summer, because I graduated in the summer semester of 91. 91, okay. Now we're in my wheelhouse. I know 91. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and... uh what was your first job? What did you, coming out of college, what would my you land? First, well, my first real job, like through high school and even during college was at the Ben Franklin store. And, you know, what I, were you I doing stayed, there? well, I started out as a stock clerk and then I did, you know, moved up to one of the divisions, you know, the, the toy supervisor or whatever you wanted, had to handle that department, all the ordering, stocking us. And then I was moved up to like an assistant manager. Oh, very nice. And I was there probably close to seven years. And I was still there when I got married. And boy, when you buy houses and cars and get married, even back then, it was like, how the heck, you know, how the heck am I going to make this? I'm making $7 an hour, working 40 hours a week. And, you know, our mortgage payment is $400 a month, which included taxes and interest. Now you can't find a rental piece of property for that a month. But, you know, that I started working part-time for one of the area's largest janitorial companies, contracted janitorial companies at that time. And they had several thousand people working there. So, you know, we had the Kodak accounts and some other very high profile accounts in town. And I got very good at it. I could look at things and it just all made sense to me, production rates and training and how to get the most out of people and looking at pieces of equipment and say, hey, this is ancient technology. Like, what can we do to you know, speed this up or increase the quality? I mean, I was around when backpack vacuums first came in vogue. I'm um, so happy you said backpack vacuums because <laughs> it makes me, it just makes me giggle that that's considered high-end technology. And it, for our it industry, it really was, but it just at the same time, it sounds a little ridiculous. Well, yeah, at the time it seemed it. And I mean, and even if you had, I know a couple of people that still have some like original ones, they were uncomfortable. They didn't have all the harness straps that they have today. If you went to, to bend over to vacuum under a, a you desk, wore it, right? you'd you get hit in the back of the head. <laughs> and, and the diffuser on the bottom would blow everything off the person's desk. So God forbid you did that in an attorney's office or a doctor's office and then try to put their their notes and files back together. Yeah. So it's fun time. I remember. I remember. If any paper was not safe, you just <laughs> oh, paper going. There's no dusting problem. We went through with a backpack. 
<laughs> that and even I can remember liners when they first were introduced for collecting trash at people's desks because we used to have to wash the trash cans every night because there was no liners and clean out the ash trees in people's desks when you could smoke in buildings. And then, you know, recycling came up and you had to pick not only the trash, but the recycling. So I can remember having company meetings about how are we going to do this? Our clients are saying they're not going to pay more. And that's twice as much work. And, uh, you know, we had to come up with some ingenious contraptions in order to, to make it work. I see the trend, and I've actually seen it for some years now, since 2007, 2008, 2009, a large trend, especially in hotels where we've gone away from using can liners. We just went back to cleaning out garbage cans because two reasons. One, let's be honest, most people don't dirty a garbage can. Most trash is self-contained. Yes. But, you know, and most of it's paper. If it's in an office, you might have the random coffee cup. But if you can, right. you know, beg, borrow and steal a lid before it makes the trash, that's <laughs> half your battle. Do you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. trash bags are so expensive or they ebb and flow with the price of oil so much that I remember that, we, we just decided to get away storm. from it. The ice storm they had in Houston, that deep freeze, that ruined the plastic market completely in the U.S. Yeah. And people don't realize how big an impact I think that the overall pandemic has had on cleaning companies. And then when you include some of the world events that have happened between deep freezes in areas that don't freeze typically, the hurricanes, you know, the tornadoes that went through the Midwest last year and things like that. It's really hurt a lot of industry that was trying to get back on their feet. And that's had, you know, worldwide implications. Even today, you know, trying to buy any type of equipment that's got any type of circuit board in it. You're looking at sometimes months to be able to get some of that stuff from your distributors because they can't get them. Yeah. This is not in the same realm, but during the, the end of 2020, I was trying to get brakes for my bicycle. <laughs> and I know it sounds ridiculous, but they rubber. couldn't get the rubber. Like they're mm -hmm. like, nobody has rubber. <laughs> it's like, there's a shortage on rubber. Like, there's certainly <laughs> nobody's getting rubber. Are you yeah. crazy? All I the insulation that goes in on uh, refrigerators and freezers and in cars and sure. all that type of stuff. Because all of those polymers that are made were all made down in Houston. And like 90% of what's used in the U.S. came from there. So it was like, yeah, I mean, I think people are starting to realize how the market, not just worldwide, but even within our own country, is yeah, tied supply, together. Yeah, the supply, supply demand is, is, as a matter of fact... I think if there's a side hustle to be had right now, it is in transportation. If you're willing to deliver something for someone, including people, right, for Uber exactly. or whatever, or yeah. food or parts or, you know, transport to people, just there's just too much for transportation needs and not enough transporters. Absolutely. Like you said, even taking people to the doctor or whatever, you know, lift line around here, medical lift line. It's, it's just not enough people. They're talking about yeah. the National Guard running the bus system, you know, potentially take students to school because so many people have quit. That is insane. Yeah, and the insane. National Guard might be called up to be our new nurses and other medical people in New York State because they had that mandate that went into effect today. If you're not vaccinated, you can't work. And I can't tell you how many people I know who have decided to switch careers because of that. And I don't even know, I know a lot of people who are, they're not even anti-vaccination. They're just the whole principle behind it. They're just like. Well, it's putting a lot of pressure on those that have been coming to work in an industry that's already in lack of enough nurses and doctors because a lot of them burned out. I know owning a cleaning company that I was on the verge of, bur you know, virtual burnout for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, although the company is, you know, growing and bigger than it was before the pandemic, you know, we still have had labor shortages. We've still had supply shortages, unrealistic expectations, you know, based on the fact that, well, this is what you do for a living. Yeah, but I can't get the product that I need to do what you want. Mm -hmm. Well, then figure it out. Well, it's what I do all day long is try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's just, it's been for the small business person in any restaurateurs, no inside dining. You can only do, you know, drive up, pick up to, you know, oh, you can't serve alcohol to, oh, you're going to have to buy 
a snack plus out. I mean, the changes have come so fast and furious from local, state, federal government that small business owners, and I'm sure big business owners, you know, too, and their board of directors, their heads have been spinning. Yeah, no question. No question. I just saw a video from a, a young kid who said that he doesn't want to have to wear a mask at school anymore. And he suggested that it, what if we set up all the tables so they're set up like a dining room table, like a, you put four at a table because in a restaurant, if you're sitting four at a table, you don't have to wear a mask. And so his idea is if you put all the kids at four at a table in the classrooms, they won't have to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's true. And the kids, kids are smarter than we give them credit for. When they see certain things, they think that that's the way it is. Yeah, I think when I was 15, I was a really good proponent of calling things stupid that looked and seemed stupid. So <laughs> <laughs> so when did you, so you started cleaning. It sounds like you started cleaning quite early, getting mm -hmm. right into it. But then how did you, how did you start your own cleaning company? How'd that happen? Well, that's kind of, let's see. Well, that's a good story. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. That's <laughs> what we're here for. It's a, a good story. Um, is what I'm after. So when I got out of college and realized, you know, the cost of, what it was to be married and having a house and all those other things. Uh, my cousin had worked for that large company here. So he was always asking me, hey, I'm looking for somebody like you. I'm looking. So I finally said, okay, I give in. So I started working for them part-time. I rapidly moved up because I was like a sponge. I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. Ben Franklin, I mean, I was as high as I was going to ever get because the people that I reported to were the owners. So I knew I couldn't get any, you know, higher. And being a young guy, I wanted to grow and learn. So I ended up in a very short period of time being able to work for them full time. And then I left them to go what work for- What were they for doing exactly? What were they doing though? Who? The ones who you oh. left for. Well, from Ben Franklin to the large cleaning company. And they no, were I know, but what were they, what were they cleaning? What was, their, oh, was it? They, they had a huge footprint. They were all the way to Syracuse and towards Buffalo. So they had all of kind of like central to western New York. Yeah, but what was, their, what was their focus? Was it like class A offices, schools? It was anything and everything. It was very yeah, diverse. So really we had eclectic. medical, okay. we had education, we had senior centers, we had... A battered wife, you know, battered woman facilities that we did, a lot of not-for-profits, Eastman Kodak, you know, a lot of industry, government municipalities type stuff. So they were very diverse because they had been around for quite a while. And, you know, I just kind of like topped out there again and was up for another challenge. And also they had lost their largest customer was Kodak. They went to a firm from Canada and, you know, the company just was never the same. The whole company culture changed. And then I can relate. when you lose your largest client, it is challenging. Yeah. And I was one of the lucky ones that survived, you know, all, all the cuts. But I can remember having to let people go that had taught me and, you know, that had worked for me for many, many years. And it was just heart wrenching. And I mean, one guy even was like, you can't force me out. And he chained himself to his desk. Oh. Yeah. So it was very personable. I mean, and that seeing that up front and close like that, it hurt. And I, you know, they talk about survivor syndrome. And I think that that kind of hit most of us that continued to work there. And like I said, the culture just was never the same after that. We came in and vice presidents were no longer there. And, you know, because we had no idea who the axe fell on other than the people that worked under us. We, so we came into work that, that following Monday and it's like, okay, where's three quarters of the office? They don't work here anymore. It's like, whoa. Yeah, so it was, that was, it was very eye opening at a young age because I was only in my early thirties at the time, I think when that happened. So it was scary. And, uh, Shortly thereafter, I started working for a guy that had worked for me at that company that spun off and started a company. And he too early on kind of did a little of everything. We did residential, we did commercial, we did floors, carpets, cleanups of yards, you know, any mowing a yard, stuff like that. Anything and everything. Yeah. And I worked up in his company and it was just his wife, myself and him in the early years. But there was enough work for to keep all of us busy and happy and everything. And then when he started taking on more individuals, you know, I worked my way up into the company. And I think I, I was like the sales manager at the very 
end of it, working with the salespeople and a sales team. But then we just, you know, I think we just kind of got a little tired of each other. And there was never talk of, you know, allowing me to, you know, take over a piece of the business or be a piece of the business or anything like that. And again, getting a little bit older, it was like, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, I just don't want to be in this role the rest of my life because I still feel I have something to give. So I left them for a very large franchise system. And I have very strong feelings about franchises in a lot of ways. And I, asked, <laughs> and I asked the guy, is your company like this? And he said, no. And it was he was right. He was truthful. It was worse. And after a short period of time, I just could not sell for them. Because if you can't believe in the product that you're selling or the service that you're selling, and we decided to part amicably, you know, and for six months, I was out looking for a job. And I was always just seen as the cleaning guy, the cleaning guy. And I couldn't get interviews or people, you know, entry-level positions. And I'm like, I just, I don't want to start at the bottom of a janitorial company again. You know, if I'm going to do that, I'll do it for myself. When unemployment ran out, it was like, well, everybody's telling me I should start my own business. And getting that first customer was not easy because I hadn't worked in six months. And I was just starting a company. And although people knew who I was... Well, we want some references. Well, I can tell you customers that I've serviced in the past, but I don't have a customer yet. So finding that first person that will trust you and put that faith in you is very difficult. Yeah, and, no question. You know, in the beginning, I was just, okay, I'm going to start a business. And my first thought of starting the business was I'm just going to run a business long enough to get recognized so that somebody makes me a job offer and I can bring everything to them. And then the longer I got into it, I'm like, I can't work for anybody else because my company's built on all the problems from all the companies that I've worked for in the past to correct those problems. And I can't go in somewhere and be told, well, this is the way we want to do it because that's the way we've always done it. Mm. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. So what were your first, were you going after commercial clients, residential? Like what was your first? Commercial, because I do not want residential. In the beginning, it was a lot of smaller offices, you know, maybe up to maybe 10 people in them. So what were you doing? Were you just knocking on doors? Were you cold calling? What were you doing exactly? Well, networking. I belonged to a BNI chapter. We joined a chamber of commerce. So I got involved in a lot of the networking. I found other networking events at night that were mixers, you know, might have been 20, you know, people from one person you know, profession there at the time, not a lot of cleaning companies are out networking at night. So I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, which was good because I was a different trade that was at these functions. So networking really was what got me going. And then I found LinkedIn and I really started hitting LinkedIn hard and, you know, didn't know much about how it worked or whatever, but said, hey, this seems like it might be a good way to meet people and showcase what my talents are. And that's kind of how I got started. And the first company that I brought on was a guy that was in my business network international chapter. And he told his boss, hey, look, you know, we sell closed system, you know, oil loops. Why are we cleaning our office ourselves? I've got a buddy of mine that owns a cleaning company. And because I knew one guy that he knew that's the only reason why I sold that account in the early days. And that's was, exactly that's exactly how it works, right? And that's yeah. I think just to highlight a couple of things here. Number one, the idea I love first of all, there's a lady named Mel Robbins. I don't know if you ever heard of Mel Robbins. She mm-hmm. wrote this book on the five second rule. And she has this great quote that she says, Here's the thing that everybody has to know. Nobody's coming to your rescue. Nobody's gonna come do it for you. Nope. You're gonna either have to do it yourself. Or it's not going to happen. And so I really appreciate that whole, you're just like, you know what? I got to do something. Nobody's going to come down and rescue. I got to start doing it and start knocking on doors and start meeting people. Then it's by meeting people that you get your first account, which of course just, and I love you. Family and friends don't usually jump in to be the first account because they're like, well, what happens if it doesn't work? And that's the other thing I want to bring up. I did not want to bring up, but just because you said family and friends, there should be, you know, like there's a 
what do they call it? There's a baby shower, right? Yeah. Somebody gets pregnant. Everybody comes with gifts. Everybody's throwing cash. If there's a, if they're getting married, there's a bridal. Why isn't there a, you know, an entrepreneur shower? You know, my, you got to start it, Ralph. One of my friends starts a business. I want to be in the, I want to be the first one to go. Yes. Let's talk yeah, about it. I mean, how can I support you? Even on Instagram, there's a lot of that, you know, oh, I got a new job or I bought a new car and there's a thousand likes, you know, oh, I started my own business. There's like two crickets. likes. <laughs> crickets. <laughs> it's like, wow. But then when you tell people and when you're at the, the cocktail party and you tell people, oh, I own a business, it's like, oh, really? Oh, fun. You know, yeah. it's, but so it's like, wait, I just met you. Well, yes, but. Gee, even my own family never said that in the beginning. <laughs> that or they think you have big pockets, one or the other. Yeah, it's always one or the other. And the other thing that I want to point out is, well, first of all, you said something that is really great. You said you went to networking meetings at night and no other plating company was there because yeah. they all work at night. So yeah. great. <laughs> oh, that's, you know, that's what they tell you in marketing class. Go where your competitors aren't. That's right. And be different show up at the marketplace different that is why i chose even to be cleaning for health before it became the in vogue thing to do that is i just read a book by mike michalowicz mike michalowicz his newest book is called he's written a few books and i've loved them all like i can't even think of another his book that he just came out is called be different and i recommend it for anybody in sales anybody who owns a business anybody who's trying to figure out how to expand your business. Mike Michalowicz, I have no idea how to spell his last name. I don't think he does either. So just Google it. Mike Michalowicz, Be Different. It's really, really a great book. And it's an audio book, which works for me because then I get to listen to it instead of reading it. But really, he has this great point where it's like, you got first thing you should do is look at how everybody else is doing it and then not do that. Hence why I start this company and looking at all the problems, yeah. you know, Let's be real. Most cleaning companies, at least that I've been associated with over the years, a customer would call with a complaint and the customer service department would try to turn it around, making it the customer's fault. All right. You guys were working late or, you know, oh, they should crawl under their desk and pick up their own paper clips or. And it's like, hold on a minute. I'm on board with them picking up their own paper clips. I I I am too. Don't get me wrong, but that's what we're being paid to do is, you know, we're there to clean. I, I once had this one guy work for me and he used to complain all the time. Why don't the teachers take out their own trash? And I said, <laughs> it's called job security. Yeah, but they spill milk in the trash cans and it gets all over me. Well, knowing that, then you'd be careful on how you pull the liners out so you don't splash it on yourself. Let me show you how. I like mean, double bag that thing. <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, I couldn't let him work at that account much longer. You know, I had to move him somewhere where it wasn't as heavy a trash or as messy a trash to kind of pacify him because he was one of the few people that always showed up way before the start of his shift. And he would also be the person that if other people were out, always was willing to pitch in. So he's a team player, but he asked weird questions. Love him. Yeah. Love everything about him. I love those guys. And I work in long-term care and, you know, healthcare, hospitals, nursing homes. Oh, a lot of those too. <laughs> heavy trash. And yes. not the best. I mean, you'd be lucky to get it's milk like spilled on daycare centers. Yeah. You'd be lucky to get milk spilled on. That'd be the that, That's the least of your worries. Least of your worries. <laughs> we do a lot of healthcare too. So how I mean, did you start the education piece of your business? How did that happen? Because I knew I didn't want to do the cleaning aspect my entire life. I knew that at some point the body starts giving away, you know, doing this and having done it wrong. So when I train people, it's like, don't do what I've done. There's a reason why I've helped write these books is because I know when you run a vacuum cleaner like that, you're wrecking your shoulder, your elbow and your wrist. Let me show you how to run it so that you don't have these ailments when you get older. Nothing like being 53 and barely being able to bend over and pick up a trash can, let alone cleaning the base of a toilet anymore. It's like if I get down on the ground, it's like, oh boy, how am I going to get back up? So partly from there, and also because I did take the training classes through the ISSA and realized how much I was doing wrong all those years was a big reason why I wanted 
to also do the training. What was then, a, hold on a second. What was one of the big things that you like realized you were doing wrong? Like what was something? How do you wash? How do you wash a wall, top down or bottom up, and why? All right. So what's the answer? It's a bottom up. And why? Because if you start at the top, the water runs down and creates what's called zebra stripes. You can't get the zebra stripes out, not with a magic eraser or a melamine pad. It's called paint. So when you work into the wet edge all the way up, you never have the roll off that creates the, those dirty lines that come down. So that's one of the things I learned. Interesting. Okay. Okay. We use the uh, wall mops. Mm-hmm. We're washing walls and they're generally not soap. So they're not like, you know, you you typically they're just damp. So I wouldn't have even given that a thought, but I know exactly what you mean. I know what a zebra is. A lot of people is, still and- use like mop and bucket or they'll use the flat mops now with the extender and they don't, you know, wring them out first. So they plop that bump against the wall. And if they do it at the top, it's going to create yeah. a nightmare. Yep. I and see. That's one I see. So that's one of the things. And, you know, the classic that most people is most people think bleach is a cleaner and bleach is not a cleaner. It's a disinfectant. And so many people, people have been in, oh, I'm 45 years in this industry. You can't teach me anything. Well, what do you mean it's not a cleaner? It turn Everything turns white. No, it bleached the color out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it. It kills things. It's a disinfectant. It's a great disinfectant. but uh, Don't mix it with bleach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, bleach and ammonia. Don't mix those together. No, we don't use – we've outlawed bleach altogether. We don't use bleach. So do I. I don't allow yeah. it in the buildings. Yeah. Plus, we work with a lot of hydrogen peroxide type and – you know, those don't mix well with bleach. It even says it on the safety data sheet. Mm -hmm. So, you know. I think our only exception is bleach wipes. And nurses use bleach wipes a lot. So Yeah. And that's understandable for what they're using them for. It's not the cleaning staff. Yeah. Yeah. The custodial staff. So So that's how you started it. So you went to ISSA. Um, Are you going to ISSA this year? I am not. I've been all over the country doing a lot of work for ISSA for uh, Sunbelt Rentals this year where they're doing a lot of the training classes right on site at all the Sunbelt Rentals Flooring Division. Oh, fun. Oh, I'm speaking I'm speaking at ISSA this year. Ooh, nice. Yeah. On, yeah, I get uh, a vacation off of that this year because yeah. I, I would actually be – it would be between two other trainings that I'm doing, and, and that would have been a little bit on the difficult side to do. I'm talking about the CDC guidelines as Ooh. it pertains to cleaning healthcare. Which yeah. day? The seventeenth, whatever day that's on Tuesday. Oh, I mean, Tuesday. which day of the CDC? Oh, we. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take what I know now and then look up how they changed it that morning. That's smart. <laughs> that is smart. And yeah. the other reason that I started this, the training died, was because when I had three boys, and when the, the middle child was born, and he started growing up and things like that, we started seeing that he was having a lot of delays in his learning. So we got him tested very early. And because I had worked around all kinds of chemicals, and if anybody who's been in this industry more than 25 years knows that guys just never wore personal protective equipment 25, 30 years ago, we were told, you know, not to wear it, if at all, you know, because you, you were called something a little bit less than a man if you did. So I had my blood tested too. And, um, you know, doctor says, oh, I got good news and I got bad news. What's the good news? Well, the good news is your son has broad spectrum autism. That's the good news. Well, what's the bad news? You have more chemicals in your body than an embalmed person. So that was like a big moment for me to realize how important chemical safety is. Even if it's green, it's still a chemical because poison ivy is green, you know, and it's you get that on you, you're going to get one heck of a rash. So I realized how important safety was in our industry. And it's not just protecting ourselves or our coworkers, but anybody who uses the space. And so I've had a big commitment on the part of, you know, making sure that everybody's safe and making clean environments, but safe environments for those that work there, visit, you know, places that we go shop, our own homes. And that's why I do on LinkedIn even put up a lot of informational stuff because not everybody's a client, but people have houses. And if they understand how to take care of their homes, they'll also start 
looking at what cleaning providers, either in-house or contracted services are doing in their workplace to ensure that they're safer. So that, that's the other part of why I started the educational side. I like the education. You know, I mean, obviously the space I work in too is the education yep. side. And I really like it. I really like it for the same reason. I also, I'm also such a big fan of learning myself. And there's no better environment than a teaching environment to learn. Oh, exactly. Even when you're the teacher. I, I love that. And being in a lot of these Sunbelt rental locations, getting my hands on some of the newest equipment, the autonomous, you know, concrete grinders and all that type of stuff and working with people and showing them how to use them or the big right on sweeper scrubbers. I mean, it's like, it's just amazing, you know, that you, there's just so much out there that people that are, you know, first starting their businesses out of their own homes sometimes don't realize how much is still out there to learn. And the last, I'd say probably 10 years, I think our industry and particularly the last two there has been so much change in equipment, materials, supplies. I mean, for the longest time, it was always, well, you need a 10-minute dwell time for disinfectants. And in the last year, the number of super disinfectants that have come out that have quicker kill claims and, you know, the electrostatic sprayers and, you know, all the robotics that's coming into our industry, everything from drones to, you know, the auto scrubbers. Because we have a labor problem, and it's not just because of the pandemic. The average age of somebody in this industry is over 55. So I was going to say, I've had a labor problem. Where's everybody going to be working? I've had a labor problem my entire career. Like, <laughs> Don't tell the I, newbies yet. I have had a staffing issue for the last 25 years. I've never, I'm rarely have I ever had full staff. Like it's, I mean, maybe a day here, a day there, never consistent, never weeks Pause on end. for celebration. Never weeks on end have I ever had full staff. We- never. Weeks? Weeks? What? Weeks? What? No, you're right. It's a never. day. Maybe two. Maybe a couple of have, days. And as soon as you have a full staff, somebody quits. And never a weekend. <laughs> never a weekend. I remember, I remember the first time I saw a modified work schedule. And I remember thinking it was illegal. Could you imagine? I thought it was illegal. And I saw it because it was a nurse's modified work schedule. So there was the work calendar, the schedule, and behind it, if you noticed, there was another thing behind it. If you look behind it, it's the short staff work schedule. So this is the schedule we want you to see. This is how everybody, you know, so you have this many patients, or you have this many residents, or you have this many whatever. Then if you don't have that many employees, you turn the page. Oh, now you have this many patients or this many residents, which is a lot more than the first page. <laughs> And I remember truly thinking it was like, I thought it was like illegal to even have that. And now sitting where I am now, I have a contingency plan if nobody shows up. Like if you have, you're supposed to have eight cleaners. I have what it's like. If you have eight, seven, six, five, four, that's right. Three, two, if only one person shows up, this is in each time you have less and less, you're giving something up You get until you get down to the very essence like, what is the, if only one thing can get done today, what's the most important? Trash and restrooms. <laughs> trash and restrooms. And hence why it's called trash and dash. Trash and dash. You know, what's funny about that is I remember I was cleaning a nursing home and somebody had called me like, hey, come on in. We have this unit. We just re- did reconstruction on. Nobody's on the unit. We just need somebody to come out here and, and give us a hand. We want to clean it. It's like construction cleanup mm-hmm. for a nursing home. And I remember going there. And thinking, you know, as I'm walking around trying to assess like where to begin and everything, it dawned on me. The number one thing to have when you first start any cleaning process is something to put the garbage in. If you don't have a place, a garbage oh. can, a garbage <laughs> bag, you're already behind. You can't you're already behind the eight ball. Yep. Trash bags or trash cans at that moment, at that juncture, right at the beginning, the most. And if you don't have a place to put the, that's why everything's on the floor because they don't have a place to put the trash <laughs> And boy, when they find the trash cans, it makes it a lot quicker to get it cleaned up. I was, I talked about it before, but I was down in Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And, you know, they have rows and rows of restaurants, like these little shops, you know, like kind of like facades, you know, you can go and try all this different mm-hmm. food. And every, and I'm not making this up. I even made a video of it. Every 15 feet, maybe 10 feet, there's a garbage can. And it's red and it's a 55 gallon drum and it's metal and it's glaring. It has Disney characters 
painted on the side, <laughs> of course. But they all say, please put trash here. And here's the thing. There wasn't, I never saw a piece of trash on the floor, on the ground. No, they're the one of the cleanest facilities in the world. And I've got a book written about, you know, their whole marketing plan. They put more training into the housekeeping staff. Because well, I agree. People are more apt to go to them because where's this? Where's that? And I do the same thing. One of the mm-hmm. first times I was in Vegas, hey, I don't know where I'm going. People said, meet me at this building. But where in this building do I go from here? You ask the housekeeping staff because they go everywhere. Yeah, agreed. You know, every back hallway and, and site, you know, they, they do. Hey, somebody's got to clean the president's, you know, personal toilet. So, I mean, how many people have access to that? The housekeeping staff does. I uh, That's funny you say that. I was just speaking down in Washington, D.C., and it was at the, gosh, what is it? The Hard Rock Casino. I don't know, some casino down there. And maybe it's the MGM. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But trying to get into the meeting space before it starts because I want to set up. And of course, the front door is locked. So I go find me a janitor. I'm like, hey, man, will you let me in? He's like, sure. We go down the back hallway, down the back steps, up one flight. You know what I mean? Like, just Two like you're saying. to this door and it opens up automatically. Yeah. All of we, a sudden, we know our way around. Up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My only point about Walt Disney World, because I know that Walt Disney World tells all of their staff members that their first job is to pick up trash, right? Their first job is janitorial. Mm-hmm. Their first job is to make sure that we're providing a magical experience for every guest who may have been, in a lot of cases, spend, you know, saving up their entire lives for this family vacation. And the last thing we want is to have a piece of trash on the floor. But I'm telling you, with peace and love, I didn't see any staff members or very few staff members. And I saw a ton of patrons, a ton of people eating. And still no trash on the floor. And the reason I'm even bringing that up is to say people are good people. And if you give them a place to put their trash quickly, they'll put it there. If you make them hold on to it, walk around, try to hold the kids and the soda and, you know, their trash, forget you're asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. Housekeepers podcast. (laughs) Provide trash cans. There you go. (laughs) I have a client in Nigeria. He came to the U.S. and got his cleaning certifications for me. And he had started his company because he was walking down one of the streets and they don't have trash cans anywhere. Everybody would just throw trash out on the yards and in front of businesses. So he started knocking on doors and saying, do you, do you want me just to pick up the trash out front? This is how much I can do it for a day. And that's how he started his business. And now he's got like 800 employees and they not just pick up the trash outside. They clean the inside of the buildings, floors, carpets, whatever. And I still keep in contact with them all these years later. So, Very impressive. There's so many opportunities for cleaning companies. So many. And just out front of a store. Agreed. And out front of a store is the parking lot. I mean, I can't. Every place I go to, I'm like, they don't have anybody cleaning the parking lot here. Nobody's cleaning. (laughs) Everybody wants a job. Nobody cleaning the parking lot. That's how you become your client's best advocate is that you fill their needs. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for being on today. It's been a lot of fun just getting to know you and talking shop. It's been really fun. How do people get a hold of you? When do your classes run? How do people attend your class? Well, they can on my website. You've written a couple of books. What are those? I haven't written any books yet. Everybody tells me I have to. I've got some in my brain. I know. Sit down. Staffing problems. Tap, tap, tap. (laughs) Staffing. So how do people get a hold of you to take your class and get certified by you? How do they do that? They can uh, they can send me an email at joel at docsfs.com. Phonetically, that's David Ocean Charlie, Sam Frank Sam dot com. Or they can go to my website, which is docsfs.com. And, and it's docs as that. in facility management, docs facility management. Yeah, docs facility com. solutions. Yep. Solutions. Sorry. That's okay. That's what the second S is for. Not an M. Got it. Nope. And then uh, and the other way is contact the ISSA on their educational page. It usually will put down which person is teaching a certain class. So that's the other way because I do do a lot of work for them. Perfect. Perfect. And I'll have I'll have your website and everything in the show notes so nobody okay. is confused as I was trying to figure out exactly what... Uh, <laughs> That's why Sam Sam Frank Sam. Sam. Yeah, because it's Docs. Why Docs? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. My last name's Craddock, obviously. 
And one of the things that my father told us early on was that your name is one of the most important things and you should always treat everybody with a lot of respect and use their name. And he says, one thing I'm not impressed with is people call us by the wrong last name. They call us Dax, Dex, Ducks, and Dicks, rarely Docs. So as a testament to my father, it's Docs. And my nickname is The Doc. So a lot of my business friends in the Rochester area here call me Doc. A lot of them on the training circuit call me Doc. So it's kind of it sticks and I answer to it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Docs Facility Solutions, Joel Craddock. Thank you so much for being on the show. That's it for us. If you like today's program, which of course I'm sure you did. I'm sure you had a great time as well as we did. Make sure you please pass it along and subscribe and write a review and tell everybody about it. Really help us out. Really appreciate that. Otherwise, thank you, my friend, for being on the show. Really appreciate you. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later.